This party rocks. I cannot believe David Manperl is here. Welcome back, listeners. This is Takes of Our Lives. I'm Vince Kochi, and I'm joined by Steve Wilk. We are talking about Season 1, Episode 6 of The O.C. This episode is called The Girlfriend. Steve, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm just trying not to leer too noticeably at my step-grandma here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get right into it. Uh, what an interesting and troubling dynamic. Yes, uh, I we we can save it for air today or air today gone tomorrow our segment later on in the show. But I, I mean, yeah, I've got a lot of lot of questions uh, about gender roles and if they were reversed, what the scenario would be. Uh, I don't know how much you want to talk about it up front, but no, just rest assured, listeners. In a few short minutes, uh, we will be cracking open this treasure trove of age-based trauma. And uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be lucrative radio. Um, what happens in the episode, Steve? We get introduced to Caleb in person for the first time. Caleb, of course, is Kirsten's father. He's also a OC real estate magnate. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Nickel, that's not a moon, that's a space station. He is the Death Star of this show. Uh, <laughs> the big bad. <laughs> Julie Cooper is the anti-villain. And then he is the the real villain. Yeah, for sure. And just if I could extend that uh, metaphor a little bit further down the line there. So Sandy, that makes Sandy a combination of Obi-Wan and Han Solo. Um, that, <laughs> it's, hear me out. I've got, <laughs> here's, my, here's my take. I'm coming in hot early this time. Um, so the, one of the greatest things about Sandy is the combination of wisdom and the ability to crack wise so he's yes. wise but he's also wise cracking and uh that would that that kind of like solidified in my mind in this episode but yes caleb um super intimidating super powerful yeah he's he's the heavy for sure for sure he is wealthier than god he throws his weight around he comes along with he he starts the episode by bringing his 24 year old girlfriend uh, to the Cohen residence. Uh, this man, if you're not familiar with the show, is in his yeah, late 60s, probably. Um, That's fair. It is gross. He's gross. He uh, <laughs> He's extremely snide and domineering. He, uh, he, of course, is not only Kirsten's father, but her boss. He, he remarks about that in the episode. And he is mad about the Ryan adoption. That's sort of how the... Um, the A-plot is tied into all this. Yes, he's salty for sure. He doesn't like it. He thinks it besmirches the legacy. Of course, to his very small defense, Ryan did burn down one of his properties. All that said, he takes it out on Kirsten by cutting her role within the real estate empire, and that kicks off all of the drama of the episode, which is conveniently framed, as it almost always is on the OC, uh, through the lens of a party, which happens one evening, mm. uh, and that party is Caleb Nichols' birthday. Yep, yeah, huge gathering at the Cohen's home. Um, as Kirsten says, 150 of his closest friends 
Um, which, yeah, I guess that w- most of the drama of the episode is kind of contained at that party. Absolutely. Steve, you've watched it a few times now, and most recently, very recently. Uh, what did you think on your rewatch? Uh, introduction of Caleb was the highlight for me. Um, like we said before, we'll kind of get into um, the problematic nature of his uh, girlfriend in this episode. The titular girlfriend, I believe. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's kind of a two-tower scenario where it could refer to any <laughs> number of girlfriends, uh, which are central to the, sh- the episode. Good point. Plot. Yeah, I guess there, if these episode titles, they are like, there's a double meaning, it seems like, almost all the time. Because, yeah, Marissa is the probably the other girlfriend in question. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I just want to get back to Caleb. Um, he is super interesting character. Uh, another, he's As the series goes on, he's really becomes the crux of a lot of the drama. Uh, I just think that dude, I, I should have looked this up, um, the guy who plays Caleb uh, is just perfect. The sound of his voice is perfect. He's, like, tall and virile looking and dominant. He just looks imposing uh, and sounds imposing. And, yeah, his, his introduction really now it makes me feel like okay we're we're like all, we're not quite in a mid-season form yet here but we're getting close absolutely he's played by alan dale okay, and yes. uh dale and we, alan dale we can just go by dale i think i think we're on that level with him <laughs> um yeah he's incredible he is uh you said it best when you said he is old he's elderly even but he's got this like stalwart ageless masculinity that he uses to lord over all of the other characters and his relationship with sandy is i mean it's combative from the get-go sandy has a couple good lines where he's like you know making fun of him before you realize he's in the house uh and then it gets even you know i'll save this for my o scene but it does get even more heated as the episode goes on but uh and then you know there it doesn't get resolved in this episode they're they're confrontation their combative relationship extends on uh which is one of my favorite things about the show couldn't agree more uh he is really a truly incredible villain um love him love that he's introduced uh this time around it was about the time that i expected him to join the show so not a surprise uh but Mm -hmm. a pleasant change of pace all the same i think now especially with the other thing that's really central about this episode to me uh, which is the emergence of Summer as a real character. Uh, yep, it, it's for Im- sure. It's important. I think now we have our full cast of characters with a few very minor exceptions, and it's, it does feel like we really, we're off to the races. Absolutely, yeah. The Summer and Seth kiss scene, uh, that was, that's a pretty big moment um, in OC lore. So here we are with that. And yeah, Summer actually has a couple like moments of actual character building and humanity um which is only gonna make the show more rich as things move forward totally i think it goes on to support one of the big sort of sweeping meta observations that i've had about the early episodes of season one is that summer summer ends up throughout the course of the show and this is really no surprise to anyone who knows anything about the show she becomes one of the most central interesting likable prominent characters but these first six episodes have been really strange to see as someone who more or less mixed all of season one together in his mind i was really flabbergasted by just how 
sort of tertiary of a character she was early on. You know, that could be, I did a little bit of uh, internet research on my own here. Um, I think, so when, after we talked about like the, who gets to be in the, like the, the series regulars and like the title sequence and noticeably Summer and uh, Julie Cooper are not there to begin the season. I think I met, I might've read somewhere that both of those characters were not intended to be like long-term players in the show, which could make some, or, you know, like uh, kind of explain a little bit why Summer's character is so one-dimensional and forgettable in the first six or episodes or so here. That's, if that's true, it makes a lot of sense. Um, surprising to learn about Julie, given how adjacent she is to some of the most prominent members of the cast, but I could see how Summer was intended to be sort of like a punchline, but then grew, I don't know why, by fan popularity or just by the momentum of the way the show was going, but uh, how she could grow into a mainstay, a pillar of the cast, if you will. Uh, but this is her coming out party. Uh, this episode is is a good summer episode. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, she got she got my intro line, for God's sake, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's worth a lot, Steve. It's worth an awful lot. Uh, what else? What else stood out to you when you rewatched this episode? Um, you know... I guess the like my total uh, absence of memory of Gabby. Um, that I mean, she. I think <laughs> she lasts one episode. Uh, she has some seriously bizarre moments. Her voice gets raspier and raspier as the episode goes on. Did you notice that? Yeah, she continually she, aged. Like uh, <laughs> she was like a mayfly in human form over the course of two days. She went from like twenty one to forty six. Dude, it's like downright gravelly by the end when she's there's that weird moment where she's like talking to Ryan after Marissa catches them and she's like and he's sitting on the stairs and she reaches through the banister to like stroke his hair and very motherly. (laughs) What what the hell? Yeah, she suddenly became like the wise old matron, just like she does have some. I mean, she is like you know in the very the the brief amount of time that she's on screen. I mean, she she is kind of like a she has an arc you know like she we find out that she was like a you know a 15 year old world traveling model that uh got into trouble with drugs or some other substances and you know by retirement age of 22 she was you know clean by then but um but she was fully washed out of the industry so it wasn't you know we we get the like i i classified it under the trope we're not so different you and i like Mm. she and ryan were kind of kindred spirits in a way yeah good call but she does have some like actually words of wisdom to share with them like i think all the stuff that she had that she's talking about with boredom i thought that was like kind of interesting although problematic what happens in that those scenes and then at the end when she's like i'd give anything to be that sad because that is that means that you care you know that basically that you love someone and that's that's really like that's the feeling that you know we're all kind of looking for totally this Despite her problematic character, she does have some moments of insight. She has some good lines, too, like you mentioned. Uh, yeah, I think what just occurred to me is that this is... It's an improvement over how sort of disorienting the plot was in in the previous episode. I think it's nice and cohesive, this episode as a whole. Um, we It's like everyone's working on the same team. The plots intertwine seamlessly. Um but it was a kind of a messy episode in terms of performances and even in terms of writing a couple of 
notable exceptions aside, chiefly every line that Caleb has is incredible. Uh, and, mm. and Kirsten is great as well. But again, I just have to come back to overall the Luke Ryan Marissa love triangle <laughs> is it's a labor to get through. It's, it's it really brutal. is. It's bordering on unwatchable. Yes, yes. It's so dry. That's the problem. Yeah, it really. I mean, I don't. I, <laughs> do you want to take this to the segments? Or are we kind of because part of this is um, I'm I'm going to take down and break down some of this. Well, let's not wait. <laughs> let's take it down, and by God, let's break it down. Okay, folks, the takedown breakdown is where we examine the unintentional comedy, the foibles, the funny stuff of the episode, or maybe it's just stuff that we didn't really like. Steve, what do you have in mind? <laughs> um, okay, so back to what we were talking about just a second ago here. Uh, Marissa, Ryan, and Luke. Uh, first of all, Luke's new lease on life. Um, this oh, Luke's God. like ch- change of character in like the span of like less than an episode is a hobby horse that you uh, like <laughs> is I, I associate mostly with you, but allow me to get on and ride here for a moment. Giddy uh, up when <laughs> when he comes in and he gives Marissa that like little bear. Like, first of all, he he starts that conversation like he's going to propose to her. He's like, I don't want to waste any more time. And then he like pulls a bear out from behind. He was like stuffed into his jeans or so something. bad <laughs> hands it to her um he uh, okay so i guess we should let's give this a little context at the very end of the last season of the last episode luke is accidentally shot in the arm by yeah. donnie who has yes. disappeared from the show never to be seen again or spoken of again no. you know the, <laughs> the words donnie or the word donnie does not has not uttered once by any character this is a guy who just shot luke um we we pick up um I guess we can imagine maybe a week has passed in showtime, but whatever the case is, Luke is out of the hospital and his stitches are out. So he's almost back to normal. He's ready to hit the beach with Marissa. He's ready to smooth things over. He's turned a new page. Um, He's, like I said, he's got a new lease on life. Uh, So he's kind of surprises Marissa in her bedroom with a bear and suggests that they get back together. And she's hesitant, uh, rightfully so, because of everything that's happened up to this point. And the viewer can imagine because of her budding feelings for Ryan. Uh, Nevertheless, Luke insists that they spend the day together. uh, And so here we are. Yeah, I have have this underlined as the new and unimproved Luke. Uh, (laughs) It kicks off the, the super trope, which I would call the many faces of Luke. Uh, he is a different character in basically every episode from here on out. And this time around, he is the kind, gentler philosopher. <laughs> and it do- it, he, it fits him like a glove with only two finger holes. It's terrible. It's a terrible look on him. Don't you think? Is that a good take? That is a good take. I agree. I, I th- But like, from a more macro sense, it's just like lazy, I feel like. Um, plot development and writing wise so we need to we can't get marissa and ryan together quite yet we got to string this along a little bit more and so how are we going to do it we're going to make luke um a little bit more desirable than he's been up until this point he's been a complete ass and the only reason that anyone could ever could see of liking him is for super superficial reasons solely so basically you know his 
his family's wealth and his good looks. Yep. Uh, but so now we kind of have to give him like this other side. Uh, you know, he's been shot. He, you know, realizes he's got another chance here. So he's going to be a great guy to everyone, including Ryan and Seth, two people he's like been so loathsome to the entire time. That's the next part. So Ryan also decides to surprise Marissa at her house before his shift at unnamed seafood restaurant on the beach. And uh, so he, he <laughs> greets her at the door you know, they're talking, he's getting, he's, he's got the gumption to ask her to Caleb's party. And then Luke, uh, shows up and, or, you know, he's in the house at that point. One of the and many, Luke, I mean, what, what should we call this thing that always happens? It happens maybe three times an episode, every episode where someone, this is usually the, the love triangle is to blame, but one of them shows up somewhere and then from a, a room, an adjacent room, a hallway off screen, like a ghost, Whoever is inconvenient <laughs> enough for that particular plot moment just apparates. They're just there. What, very well said. This happens actually twice in the um, the gamble episode where first Ryan tries to sneak out and is caught like in the act by Seth. And then uh, Dawn tries to sneak out and is caught red-handed by Kirsten. But yeah, this does happen a lot in this show. We will, let's, let, off mic, let's come up with a good uh <laughs> And good listeners, if you have something this. in mind... We're going to be releasing all these episodes at once, so you can't write in with suggestions, but maybe like posthumously, we might say, hey, we should have called it that. So if you do have something to mind, tweet at us or something. Please do. Um, but anyway, so getting back to what happens here. So Luke, you know, couldn't be nicer to Ryan, thanks him for bringing him to the hospital and calling Marissa, and then has the the just classic line, uh, <laughs> take it easy guy as he bids him adieu and walks back into the house um so yep. we've got that ryan is thwarted um i don't know would you want to take it from here i've got I've, i feel like i've been uh bogarting this plot for a little bit now oh you can have it and you can keep it <laughs> i i honestly don't want anything to do with this it's just like it's it's not even like um it's not a compelling will they or won't they it's just a seesaw whenever Something promising happens with either party. Marissa, sort of with no real good reason to do so, becomes uncertain of her own feelings yet again. Like, because Luke gets shot, what what, in good theory about that makes you like him more? Now, at least in this episode, he does go through some character development. But even still, Marissa doesn't, like, commit. She doesn't, like, change her mind. Her mind remains a soupy mess of indecision throughout the entire thing, and not in a way where she looks meaningfully conflicted. It's just a, a classic Barton milk toast confusion. And that is the foul-smelling glue that holds this <laughs> equilateral triangle of blandness together. Well, don't. You're, you're discounting Ryan because he has his part to play in this, um, yeah, just completely boring sto- or love triangle. So she, she goes to the crab shack, wants to talk to him, takes him outside, kind of explains, you know, like the trouble she's having. And he like doesn't do shit. You know, he's basically like, if you came here to help me, you know, help you decide. And he's like, I, you know, I'm not going to do it. It's like, dude, if you like this girl, why don't you just tell her? That's a good time. You know, she's come over. She's like gone out of her way to meet you at your work. Uh, How about just explain your feelings there instead of being like, oh, no, I'm not going to 
you know, whatever, whatever he says, I'm not going to help you decide. Yeah, it's um, it's what seals Ben McKenzie and Ryan's fate for the rest of this show. It's it's long duration is marred from here on out by Ryan's newfound sort of petulant pride. In the first five episodes, mm. he is fairly humble. He is a fish out of water. He's trying to fit in. He is pretty understanding of Marissa's ongoing feelings with Luke and for Luke. And he doesn't he doesn't do he gets in fights. He shows off his machismo, but he doesn't really like get indignant about stuff. But listener, you better buckle up because from here on out, this is what he's like. Mm-hmm. Yes. He will not suffer a single slight no, to the show's detriment, I yes, would say as well. Totally. But yeah, so overall, this whole plot uh, was a real drag on this episode. I do want to mention one more thing. When Luke he goes when he goes to Caleb's party and he does like the super mature greeting to Seth, gives him like the big handshake, and he's like, oh, "Cohen, so this is your place. It's beautiful." <laughs> Just, it's like okay. Yeah, right. it's like you've called this kid a queer like four times. Nonetheless. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the thing. It's always like they don't even like change his character and, and acknowledge his previous versions of his character. It's just a fresh coat of paint on top of the old one every time. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Uh, but my problems with uh, that entire plot line are very much akin to yours. In my takedown breakdown, I want to break down a particularly egregious scene. Which one? Uh, when Seth Cohen is prompted to suck salsa off Summer's finger. <laughs> okay, let me let me hear it. So, Lister, you probably are asking, how did this happen? It seems outlandish. <laughs> Under what circumstance could this have possibly happened? Let me tell you, watching the episode does not provide a whole lot of additional context. Uh, she is going, they're, they're out to get... Uh, lunch, Summer and Marissa and the boys stumble upon them. Uh, and Summer, as you do, I guess, goes to the salsa bar to get salsa for their table. And Seth goes with her to give Ryan and Marissa a chance to chat. And then, well, <laughs> while it happens, Summer gets spicy salsa on her finger and says, are there any napkins? No. Of course not. Why would there be? Uh <laughs> And then she says to Seth, straight face, deadpan, lick it off. Those words. And he is he is appropriately um, taken aback. Yes. I will, I will give the scene that credit. Thankfully, it's kind of both kind of both parties sort of make it work. I'm more pointing my ire at the the writer <laughs> or the producer or whoever came up with this idea because. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> are you so? Are you offended by like the sanitation um, complications with this, or what is your? It's what's your main gripe here? It's my gripe is not exactly sanitation. I mean, we do a lot grosser things than that in the course of a human relationship, but mm. it's just how many contrivances are piled on top of one another to make what is kind of a weird and not really payoff scene happen 
That's a great take. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're right. Why did we need, we didn't need this. This didn't help anything. Cause she, all, all that, you know, we finally, the, the end point of that scene is her basically asking him to take her to the party. We didn't need this. Yeah. Weird salsa moment of intimacy. No, it, it, smacked of the ongoing objectification of Rachel Bilson throughout the first half of the first season. It also was just like so goofball that the that the characters, not even the actors couldn't take it seriously. It was like the characters in the show couldn't even take it seriously, which mm. was sort of its saving grace, as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, first of all, there has to be no napkins. Then she can't lick it off herself because it's too spicy. Also, her she just got her nails done, which necessitates licking it off. I guess I don't. It was so yeah, it was that... so poorly defended. <laughs> flimsy, flimsy reason. Yes, exactly. That's what I really wanted to take down and break down. But I have I have one bonus takedown breakdown. Oh please! Art department on blast. We Uh-oh. get a slow zoom on Jimmy Cooper's computer screen. Oh my god, I had this written down too. <laughs> Please go uh, ahead. It's just like I think the it's labeled like it's a graph and it's labeled like investments. Yeah, it's Jimmy <laughs> Co- James Cooper investments and it's like a series of bar graphs that are all like steadily going down. <laughs> and we hang on it for like 4 seconds. Uh, it opens the scene and ends it. Like what? <laughs> it's like they don't want seriously... us to miss <laughs> What age, what's like the, the minimum age that you think someone would be like, if you asked like a sixth grader to, to like, you know, explain via bar graph, like what, what's happening financially with Jimmy Cooper, do you think that they would come up with that? I feel like it's right around that age. I'm going the opposite direction so, of your take. I'm saying they okay. have to be in their like early 60s, unaware oh, okay. of how to use any program on a computer that isn't like, what did they, what do you think they used? Like. I mean that's that could that could just be Microsoft Paint, honestly, like what they've done, or or just like whatever graphing you know like software is the most you know like basic that they could find because it could it could have been a legit graph, but <laughs> but um, it didn't yeah, give a lot of credit so, to the to the audience. No, 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 and they and they like I said they open the scene with it and end with it like it's so strange. It's they, they seem very proud of uh, their graphic design capabilities there <laughs> yeah they didn't want it, us to risk missing it um, <laughs> that's all i got that's all i want to take down and break down what anything else any lingering any stragglers that you want to take a shot at um i i mentioned it before gabby stroking ryan's hair through the banister um was confounding mm-hmm. um mm, here's terrible. one here's a Here's a small one that is recurring. Um, Seth's use of the word minty. I've never heard anyone before or since use minty. And I'm guessing it's meaning like slightly homosexual. Did you you catch this where he says minty? Ooh, I didn't catch that that sort of cryptic meaning. I, I know he says it. And this isn't the first time. This might be like the third minty sighting we have. Do you know the context? Can you help us? Sort of. Yeah. Okay. So he here's this, to my knowledge, this is the first time he's said it up until now. But I know he says it. He says it more. But basically, he says so. That's a scene where after uh, the the blow up in the kitchen and Seth Ryan and Gabby go to the pool house to you know like 
whatever, just hang out, read comics, and play video games like they always do. Uh, Gabby's playing this game on like a handheld device, and she's like, this game sucks, like kind of jokingly. And Seth is like, here, let me see. And he goes, Ryan, you've been, play- you've been playing the pirate game? That's a bit minty. And mm. I, didn't, I didn't know... I, I mean, that was my guess. If if uh, <laughs> I, I hope I'm not <laughs> uh, telling on myself here, um, but I don't know what else he could mean by that. And I and I'm also basing it on like I know that he says it again later on in the season, and I always feel like it's something that's kind of like vaguely like uh, homosexual. Yeah, I, it it strikes me. I can't even put my finger on why, but it doesn't sit right with me. I don't like no, it. No, not at all. I agree. Well, and I, if I'm totally off base here, then um, I'll throw my hands up. But yeah, we, we'll lay ourselves down at the mercy of Brody and say, we should have never besmirched <laughs> you. We dragged your name through the mud. But from where we're sitting right now, I say that doesn't reflect terribly well on the character. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because it reminded me of two things that I wanted to take down. I need these two takedowns need to happen. Let's hear it. The first one, though, I actually like. So again, I betrayed the whole thesis of the <laughs> of the segment. But early on in the episode, Julie Cooper comes into Jimmy Cooper's office and says, "Well, I just oversaw the sale of China. So we got rid of the horse." And then Jimmy Cooper's like, "Okay, yeah," because they had to sell the horse because they're in financial trouble. Trouble. And then Julie goes, "I think." Oh, what's her? What's uh, the daughter's name? Uh, Caitlin? Yes. I think it was Caitlin's best friend. And then <laughs> Jimmy goes, China's a horse. And then Julie goes, maybe to you. <laughs> <laughs> to everyone, Julie Cooper. It's a horse to everyone. Uh, but I did. I actually thought that was hilarious. Not, I, I, not ironically either. I thought it was just good, genuine humor. Uh, but the thing that was not good was finally Summer the character gets her marissa naming punk bands moments Mm, i think i know what you're about to say she is uh apparently a she has a fledgling or pretty well supported interest in the world of high finance Mm -hmm. and she's like listing off these different types of financial positions and famous financiers and et cetera, et cetera. And it's Yeah, David Manperl, he's at the party. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. That was clumsy. she didn't sell it to me. No, when she's because that's that's that that's that scene where they're walking into the bathroom and she's like, Yeah, it's like I can't believe so and so is here and you know, he's the he's the wealth management you know, president at such and such financial firm. And like, yeah, the way she says, like, you know, the investment firm, it's, it's very, uh, Marissa Cooper listing punk band. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. All right. Well, that's it. I'm actually, I'm, I'm out of stuff now. You're out of takedowns. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm good. I think we can focus on the positives or I don't know. Do you want to go, do you want to do what? Should we just do it now? Let's do it now. Let's, I feel like we got to go air today, gone tomorrow. I couldn't agree more. It's looming over our heads like the sword of Damocles, but we have to address it. Listeners, air today, gone tomorrow is a thought experiment where we investigate what it would be like if this episode came out today. 
What sort of things would become memes? What sort of things would shock the population and be unacceptable? Uh, and there was plenty to talk about in episode six. That much oh. is sure, Steve. It's a doozy. We're in doozy territory here. Confirmed doozy. Um, let's get it out of the way right away. Um, in 2019, age discrepancies in relationships are rightfully scrutinized. Yes. Caleb Nichols is perpetrating a long-time comedic and dramatic trope in which the old man has a deeply inappropriately young lover. Yes. But were but that... it that, it ended there, Steve, because yeah. that is not <laughs> even close to the creepiest thing that happens this episode. No. And here's my question. Here's here's the thought experiment that I want to investigate a little bit. If the genders are reversed between Gabby and Ryan, is this episode unwatchable? Yes. And I'm, you know, I don't want to be gender biased here, but it is much more predatory when you've got that older guy going after. And because right now, let's just just do the math here. Um, in the show, it's confirmed that Gabby's 24 years old. Ryan is 16, I believe. Yes. So that's that's problematic. It's uh, bad. For He's very a child. Reasons. And it she's is. a grown adult. It is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if going back to what I just said, if it was reversed, I'm not even sure I could make it through the episode. Honestly, no, it would be. I mean, I mean, if it, if it were to be reversed, it would be played as extremely disgusting. Yeah, right. That's a good point. I think that even even then, I don't think, you know, it's taboo in the show, but it's kind of like taboo in like a kind of like, well, Ryan, I mean, he's not bragging about it, but he is, there is that like moment where him and Seth are in the pool and he, he's just fesses up to it right away. He's like, yeah, we hooked up. And Seth is like kind of shocked and awed at it, but like in like a, wow, that's cool kind of way. Yeah. Uh, it's That would not be the case if, if it was flipped. No. Uh, thank God it wouldn't be. That's it's gross. It's it's gross that it happened. I wonder what the world was like in t- 2002. Was is that yeah? Three, I think, is when this yeah. Um, how I don't know how people felt about it when it happened, but I felt very uncomfortable. I thought it was it was straight up gross. Um, if it were to air as it aired today, I think. They would have taken, and you know, to Ben McKenzie's credit, he was sort of weirded out and um, sort of off-put by it in a way, uh, mostly because it ends up ruining his, ruining in quotes, uh, his chance with Marissa, because Marissa does the old walk-in trope, finds them grinding. Uh, Yes. But Gabby straight up grabs his penis through his pants (laughs) and it's like that's we just witnessed a child molestation that's what occurred yeah yikes very yikes very and yeah like ryan you know he's not pushing her away i guess for obvious reasons he's you know like like it makes sense why he's attracted to her um but he is kind of like you know there's that scene where she approaches him at the party for the first time and does that weird thing with the cherry another that was i actually found that kind of even more gross than the uh 
the licking the salsa off the hand. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the salsa lick was gross you know, <laughs> from a from a show writing standpoint. The cherry thing was gross from a sexual predator standpoint. Yeah, it was, that seemed a little predatory to me. And but and he's like he he seems kind of put off by it too, mostly just because he's like, hey, aren't you worried that we're gonna get caught here? Um, which is a valid concern as well. Um, but yeah, so he he's not like super psyched about the whole thing. He's just kind of going along with it. It was my take. It was my read on it. I think you're right, and I think I think we would get sort of a thoughtful. If they aired it just like that today, they would do it in such a way in which she was made out to be fairly villainous. Yeah, I agree. Instead of like the say the wise sage who like you know longs for being melancholy because it means that you love someone. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, she wouldn't get that redemptive moment at the end by any means. Well, maybe on no. a more lighthearted note, Steve, what sort of things in this episode, if it were to air today, would sort of be sticky? Would they, They'd show up on social media. They would become sort of meta-referential. Does anything jump off the page to you? Because I have one, Steve. Um, at the end, this, this is like the last thing that happens in the episode. Uh, Marissa... And Luke have sex. Uh oh. Yeah, that's all. That, <laughs> which it's pretty graphic. I mean, there's a lot of close-ups, but yeah, that is also an act between children that we're witnessing. <laughs> yeah, that's more of like the, you know, the it's culturally acceptable. The teen movie. It's like two teens, Romeo and Juliet style, hooking up, and you know, it's like. I hear you. I don't, I'm not trying to be prudish. You're right. But uh, yeah, but, as long as we're, and, you know, as long as we're in the air today, Gone to Tomorrow segment. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, um, I think it would hold up pretty well. Maybe not the triple zoom in on Misha Barton's butt. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be cool. Uh, but Luke uh, is like, he does all the, you know, good practice consent checks. So like, babe, are you, are you ready? Like, oh, are you sure? That sort of thing. Uh, so it's it's meant to be like okay, but the thing that I think is meme worthy, and it can only be meme worthy because there was nothing really nefarious about the actual consummation of the relationship. She comes out of the car and walks into her house, and then Ryan's like looking at her from across the way. Whatever this balcony setup that these two houses have, they're mansions, but there's less than twenty feet between them, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and she like looks at him, and she is like on the verge of tears and she says you're too late and then it, that is rides into her house so like she did that basically just to get back at him no i don't think so i mean she did it because she was like i think it's to, it's to be interpreted that this like older sex pot woman is like doing it with her her love interest and so fine if that's the way the world has to be then i guess i have to have sex too and she she goes and have sex with luke and then she sees Mm. that ryan's like wait i made a mistake and then she's like well we can never be together because i slept with another man and then she (laughs) storms she storms into her home i just think it's like it would be it would be memed off the face of the earth if it oh okay if it were to air today yeah, that's a good call. I uh, slight one. I'll I'll throw out there. Did you catch the part where Rachel Bilson set, calls Caleb Nickel the Donald Trump of the West? <laughs> oh, I sure did. 
That yeah, I don't know what the internet would do with that. Yeah, that because that's the totally that is not an apt comparison anymore. No, no, it's not by any stretch. No, and I I think if it were to air today verbatim, that would be a nuclear missile going off. <laughs> yeah. My question is, who would she refer to today if it were to air today? And they obviously wouldn't use our uh, rightfully beleaguered president as an example, who would like, who would this guy be of the West? I think that if for, I mean, Summer is, you know, extremely knowledgeable about um, wealth finances and wealth <laughs> management and all that. I'm sure she's got a handful of names, David Manperl being one of them. But I think <laughs> for your standard, you know, 16-year-old, probably Jeff Bezos. I know he's already from the West, but mm. I think Jeff Bezos is the only, like, ultra-rich person that your your typical high school-age person would know, unless I'm... Or, you know, it couldn't be an entertainer because that's he's not an entertainer, right? It's just kind of got to be like a, a businessman or woman uh, that is, you know, I guess like noted, notice, no, or notable only for being wealthy for no other reason. That's a good one. I was going to say Warren Buffett, but uh, Jeff Bezos yeah. is like way, it's a way better answer. Excellent take, Steve. Thank you. I'm not sure that I don't even know if even Caleb Nickel could uh, stand toe to toe with Bezos uh, financially, but maybe, so, you know, who knows? Maybe he couldn't even stand up to Donald Trump back in. <laughs> Was Trump on The Apprentice by that point? I wonder. Uh, I don't think so. I don't maybe what his though. place in the cultural consciousness was when she said that, because clearly, you know, it was a reference that we're all meant to understand. So, yeah, I guess. I mean, the man was a he was like a extant quantity in the zeitgeist before even his reality tv stint so true he did appear in uh, home alone too as himself um okay that's a good examination of air today gone tomorrow uh i know this next segment is gonna have a lot of very good candidates steve so i'm excited and i'm a little nervous it's the O scene. The O scene, of course, is the scene that makes us go O in each episode. Uh, Vince, what's your O scene this episode? Um, well, I have a lot of O scenes, and I, uh, I'll, I'll rapid fire a couple of weird ones for me. Okay. We already talked about the finger lick. That was weird. But how about when Sandy goes, yeah, summer's hot. I'm like... come on what are you what are you doing sandy that i think i i took that as just playful dad uh ribbing i i don't think that that was i didn't i didn't read that as creepy and you know what i'm i actually i i feel like i was being a little too prudish earlier i like i said on an earlier episode of our pod that euphoria was one of my favorite shows of the summer and that show has some of the most gnarly you know, explicit scenes of sex of anything I've ever seen. So I'm going to reel it back a little bit on my uh, my take that um, that you know the the sex scene between Luke and Marissa was a little too steamy. But yeah, that I mean, I hear you. It's a weird thing for a dad to say. It's more just embarrassing, I would say, than you know, like legit creepy. You're right. I'm I'm ta- I'm taking back my take. It's a take back. Uh, <laughs> you've you've uh, you've reasoned me off the ledge. How dare I? besmirch the name of sandy cohen um i've got a couple more though uh you know you're still smoking the weed yep that was hilarious 
I said great, great line reading. Maybe that's the ha scene because I actually, I actually laughed aloud. Um, Obviously, the very foundational to the plot, Luke and Marissa's sex scene was a big deal. Uh, But the thing that I want to use as my O scene, perhaps, is the same as yours. Uh, But if so, it deserves just as much conversation as we both can lend to it. The summer Seth kiss, but more importantly. The lead up there too. Mm, I did not have this, so I'm going to let you take the floor, listener. It is to this point the tenderest, the sweetest uh, scene that we've gotten. And to Bilson's credit, uh, she played the scene really nicely. Uh, what I agree. Happens Great nervous smile by her at the end. Sorry, I I (laughs) stepped on you there. Um, But yeah, she did a great job. Yeah, for sure. No stepping on at all. Um, Yeah, so what's happening in the scene is that Summer has sort of weaseled her way into this party to try to bag some sort of wealthy suitor. And uh, Seth, by the end of it, like gives her a little pushback, grows a spine just like Anna asked him to, um, Mm -hmm. and says dude, this sucks. Uh, You shouldn't be going after these guys anyway. They don't know anything about you. And then he starts to go on and recount all of sort of the moments that stuck out in his mind of his longstanding fascination, admiration uh, with Summer, uh, culminating in him talking about a poem she read in the sixth grade about wanting to be a mermaid, and then he remembers the poem by heart. And uh, Bilson, for her part, uh, Summer is like smiling, kind of weirded out at the beginning, but by the end of it, she's got this just really like warm, happy appreciation. And she didn't play it like, oh, now I'm suddenly in love. She didn't play it like, Oh, I pity this kid who's infatuated with me. She played it just like a really nice, mature, sweet appreciation for his appreciation. And then plants a a perfect kiss on him. Not too gratuitous, but not like a friendly peck either. It's just a nice kiss. Leaves him gobsmacked, jaw dropped. And then she does the an, another cool thing, which I think this is really the springboard for the summer that we know and love for the rest of the series. And she's like... She doesn't linger. She doesn't like, it's it's not like everything's tied up with a bow. She's like, I've got more financial pinatas to whack at, but you, you're you free to go, Seth. I won't drag you through the mud anymore. I'm going to go do this myself. Excellent yes. scene. Loved the scene. Great, great shit by both of them there. Yeah, I really liked her. Like I, I what you said about how she was like responding to him uh, with, you know, like what her face was doing it is like she's kind of embarrassed but she's like totally like kind of overcome by this moment of sweetness and yeah his appreciation uh for her and yeah it's uh, it's really really good shit it's really good shit and they wrote a really cute poem i said I, this is actually the awe scene because i actually said yeah when i saw it i was like oh that's just nice it's nice that is the awe scene but yeah, I like how it's. She still got a little bite though, because she's. It's not like oh, we're in love now. It's just like yeah, I'm gonna go, you know, talk to David Manpearl a little bit more. But you know, don't worry. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna see how many pearl. how many more Manpearls can I get in here. <laughs> oh, 
Hey, Steve, what was your O scene? Okay, I'm taking it back to the adults. So we've had some good, good shit with some good shit, some bad shit with the kids mm. uh, so far that we've discussed. I'm bringing it back. Uh, let's let us not forget that this is the episode where Caleb is introduced. Um, I'm we... mad at myself for forgetting. <laughs> no, I'm not. A, no, no accusations here. No, no fingers being pointed. I just we gotta let's let's get back. Let's get back to uh, Caleb Nickel. It's his um, birthday after all. Yeah. For crying out loud. Uh, so the fight in the kitchen um, between Caleb, Kirsten, and Sandy is my O scene. Yeah. So this is preceded by um, the scene where we get the first shot, I think, of uh, Sandy and Kirsten's bedroom. That was kind of interesting. I've, I've been noticing in this show, there's a lot, it's a little claustrophobic. I mean, I know they go to a few you know, locations outside of the Cohen house, but in the Cohen house up to this point... We've gotten a little bit of Seth's room, but it's mostly pool house and kitchen and backyard. Yeah. So yeah, totally. here we are in the Cohen's bedroom. Um, and Sandy is like super excited. He comes up with this plan for Kirsten to quit and they can move the family back to Berkeley. I guess where we're to believe they originally lived when this they met. Um, termite ridden hovel that they used to reside in. <laughs> yes. So we get super excited Sandy, which is fun. Uh, but we also get, um, this, this kind of made me go, oh, uh, he, he tells Kirsten, you could quit your job and you could open that gallery that you always were talking about, uh, and put your art history degree to good use. Your boy here studied art history in college and now is in real estate. So <laughs> oh. I've really followed the Kirsten, uh, <laughs> the Kirsten Cohen playbook. Oh, wow. I had not put that together. Steve, you do have a very Kirstonian aura about you. I'm about one one millionth as successful as she is, but I'm I'm working my way there. Okay, I I'm, I'm on I'm on the road towards uh, Kirsten status. But anyway, so we get that, which I thought was fun. But more importantly, um, the the fight in the kitchen after dinner uh, quickly establishes the conflicted relationship that Caleb and Sandy have. Caleb is used to being in charge. Sandy is used to not backing down. Um, so this is the first time... Here's my take. Sandy fucks up here. Yep. Gets a little pushy, suggests to Caleb that Kirsten wants to quit before she's ready to actually have the conversation with Caleb, uh, and, or has really even made a decision. Uh, he defends her, Kirsten, you know, by saying what a, how good she is at her job and you know, what a good mother she is, et cetera, et cetera. But he's kind of simultaneously egging her on to quit her job when she really doesn't want to, has shown no... you know, as, Up until that point, had shown really no interest in doing that uh we get that great line like you said caleb jokingly accuses sandy of smoking the weed uh, <laughs> when seth comes in and is like oh wait what and then you can hear him as he's exiting the room like hey ryan guess who's a stoner I thought that was fun <laughs> um moving forward though in that scene we get the first use of kiki are you familiar with the drake song in my feelings mm, very vaguely very famous opening line uh, to that song, Kiki, Do You Love Me? Uh, I would say Drake owes a pretty big debt to Caleb and the writers of the OC. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, so, once again, a, a fair administration of, of who gets credit for what, Steve. <laughs> um, but then we get Caleb really uh, uncorks there. He tells Sandy, you keep your mouth shut. No one cares what you think. And then he's like, don't talk to me like that in my own house. And he says, whose house is this? Who built Ooh. it? Who paid for it? <clears throat> so this is the second time in two episodes that someone has tried to make Sandy feel financially inferior. 
Uh, he handles it well, but ultimately he really did the wrong thing uh, by getting too excited about his plan to move out of the OC and was a little too forceful in trying to make it happen uh, and really kind of fucked things up for Kirsten. So absolutely, as much as I love him, uh, Sandy, he took an L there in my opinion. Couldn't agree more. Excellent take. I'm going to build upon your take with a take of my own. Uh, Kirsten backs me up on this when she calls Sandy out um, a couple scenes later where she's like, you want to get out of here so bad if the last eight years of our life or whatever it's been have been not what you wanted or not what you were looking for, then we have a much bigger problem than me and my dad. Yeah. And then that actually shuts Sandy up. And what I think this reveals to me is that the show has is operating under a thesis that Sandy's fatal flaw is that he's too loving. And it's like the classic, like, what's your biggest weakness in a job interview? And you're like, well, I just work too hard. And so, like, <laughs> it's just like, an un, it's a not believable flaw is that Sandy cares too much. Like, that's, mm. that, I never buy it. But Sandy's real flaw, which the show largely ignores, is that he acts as a moral authority. Mm. He okay. thinks he has it. He thinks he has the moral high ground at all times, uh, when that's not the case. Here's a man who is living a luxurious, do-what-he-loves, surf-every-morning lifestyle because of his wealthy wife. Now, of course, he's a good man who plies his time against good pursuits, but he still takes advantage of the very thing he's often so critical of. And he uses that sort of holier-than-thou stance to sort of cudgel other people's opinions throughout the course of the show. Mm. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I don't like it. It's the one thing I don't like about the guy. (laughs) No, yeah, that is not... It's a pretty unlikable characteristic. But as for O scenes, Steve, that was a great one. The there were that was a, a chess match. It was a fencing exhibition. Indeed. <sighs> I mean, I think we've already talked about many of the power players in the episode. Uh, so our tier list should be more fireworks. But uh, before that, is this a foundational episode, Steve, or is it a filler episode? I had some trouble with this. Um, I I ultimately landed on foundational, basically just because it introduces Caleb. Uh, I don't think any of the events in the episode are particularly foundational. Um, But with an introduction with a character that's as important as him, I gave it foundational status. A good take. uh, Not one I agree with. I went with filler mostly because at the end of the episode, everything is reverted to the way that it was. Essentially, uh, we knew mm. that Caleb existed and he will come out and force in later episodes. Uh, yes, we're introduced to him. I don't really think it necessarily... Mm, but now I'm actually... I'm, I'm doubting myself in a severe way because what I think really makes it foundational is the Seth and Summer kiss. You've got to see that. Oh, right. You got to see good, it to understand good call. it. I'm backing down. I'm, I'm revising. This is a take back, second of the episode. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm going to go foundational too. But I think it's pretty narrow. It's, it's a narrow margin. 
extremely narrow. I think anytime that there's these like characters that swoop in for one episode and it's like most of the drama is focused around them, it can be considered filler. But within with the with I, I take back my original take because you're right. The the summer and Seth kiss is the probably the most foundational uh, moment that happens in the episode, and it's a foundational moment in the entire series. So I think I think we got to hand it. Couldn't agree more. All right, so we've got a, a narrow foundational. Let's go to the tier list. Mine was pretty tough this week. I don't know about yours. Um, I did have some trouble with this one. Your number five spot, Steve. Let me let me put it to you right off the bat. Who do you got? My five spot, uh, making her first appearance in any tier list, I believe, is Summer. Summer Roberts. Yes. First full episode. First full episode where she is not completely worthless. Um, like I mentioned before, a good smile after she kisses Seth. Uh, here's my. I, I should have brought. I could have brought this up in uh, the O scene section, but little flaw in her plan. So she's already said that Caleb Nichols is like the most powerful person in Newport. He's the Donald Trump of the West. Why wouldn't she just go after Caleb Nichols' grandson who has a huge crush on her? She's, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like she, she knows. Oh. Wouldn't that be the smart thing to do? Instead, she's like going after these like one can only assume like 30 to 40 year old, uh, you know, investment bankers. That my mind is blown into pieces. Steve. <laughs> that might be the best take you've had. Is that <laughs> take of the episode? Take of the year. I mean, you didn't I'm like my Star Wars takes. takes to start the show. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, I'm going beyond the show, beyond the OC. This is the best take you've had, even in our personal life this year. Wow, damn! Throw this on Reddit. Get Thank some responses, <laughs> my friend. Um, I like your summer at five. Uh, n- not to preempt you, if you've got anything else to say, but. Uh, I, I have her at four on my own list for very much the same reasons. I thought she was still kind of a moron in probably half of her scenes. Uh, she gives Marissa some really bad advice, which is basically like, well, you should have sex with Luke because he's hot, and if you don't, he's going to go get it elsewhere. And it's like, ugh. Mm, yeah. That's not, like, that's not women looking out for women. <laughs> that's tough. Um, but you know she's also like a she's fairly vapid. She's a high schooler, so you know you can't condemn her too much. And then the good way outweighs the bad for Bilson's performance this week. And uh, I, I like Summer. I like her at four. Okay, who's your five then? My five, uh, and I don't I don't like to do this. You, so you know this is tough for me, Steve. But I'm saying <laughs> Caleb, uh, even though it's his debut episode, uh, he just launches into the fabric of the series he's like darth vader but the song comes on he's looming every scene he seems to be right around the corner he calls wine grappa it's it's just i think he's actually calling grappa i think is like a it's like an after dinner liqueur i think he's asking for a different type of beverage <laughs> there but oh see but i yeah. get exposed <laughs> i have exposed my lack of knowledge of wealthy after dinner drinks um but yeah, I thought he just had I, a fancy word for wine. No, no, no. Um, so, <laughs> so Caleb at five for you. I'm a little more prone to um, appreciating a grand entrance. I had a him at two uh, for mostly for that grand entrance. He shows his ruthlessness. That scene where he's he, the first time he suggests that uh, Kirsten step down or take like a you know a less more less responsibility in her role. 
he ends the scene by being like, so tell me all about Jimmy Cooper. The son of a bitch lost $4 million and he's like chuckling about it. <laughs> so shows his ruthlessness there. Uh, but then also some humanity at the end when he's talking with Kirsten and he's talking about how much, you know, their, her mother would have loved the party. And, you know, they have that nice moment where they're just kind of, they explain they you know, they make it clear that they, how important they are to each other, even if, if it's not, you know, like, necessarily sappy or anything but yeah so he's he gets a little humanity at the end there yeah his uh i think we're led to believe that he's a man that maybe at one point had this warm heart like furnace within him that was like this beacon of humanity that kept propelling him now his wife is dead his other daughter has abandoned the family is off the face of the earth and um it looks like that the light inside of him has gone out and all that's mm-hmm. all that remains is memories because he really gets a last moment of irredemption when Kirsten is like, I just want you to be proud of me. And then he, he can't even say that he is. He can't bring himself yeah. to say it. So uh, he had an awesome performance. He's my number five. And as I said, Summer's my number four. Who's your number four, Steve? Uh, number four for me is Seth. This was kind of a tough. I just kind of threw him in there, honestly. Um, I like he had a couple. I mean, he gets the kiss from Summer, so you got to hand it to him for that. That was a huge moment, as we've discussed. Uh, he had a couple good lines. I liked Ryan. Guess who's a stoner? As he's walking out of the like, I, I love anytime there's a, in a scene where someone's like, like they're they're audibly yelling like off screen to someone else as they're like walking off for some reason it always makes me laugh. So I like that line. Um, but yeah, overall that was just kind of a filler spot for me. Yeah. I have Seth at my three for mostly the same reasons. Uh, he's got momentum. He's been awesome in the last few episodes. He's not, he doesn't really take a step back too much in this episode. I didn't like his very like sophomoric like angle on his step grandma to be, uh, but mm. I did like, I sort of liked how he was grappling with that concept in a way. Like, <laughs> the way that he said, like, Ryan, you hooked up with my grandma. That's, like, f- funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good good line. And then he was, gr- he was great with the when he recited the poem and then... He summer kisses him and then he says the last line of the poem anyway and is just like stunned Seth. <laughs> I like the way that he stood up for himself too. He he did before the kiss scene. You know he wasn't gonna take any more of her shit, which is good for good on him. Don't be a doormat, Seth. I love it. Uh, confidence, Cohen. Yeah. Who's your number three, Steve? So we haven't uttered the oh we we talked about them briefly in the takedown but I I might I'm, I might revise this but I I went Juliet three get some nice digs in on Jimmy uh, asks for the divorce or kind of you know maybe it's not even an ask just tells him that she wants a divorce and uh, she plants the seed with Caleb you get that that was uh, kind of a crucial scene that we didn't really discuss much but Jimmy has that kind of pathetic plan to ask Caleb for a job that doesn't really go anywhere and then Julie picks up the ball and crosses the end zone by uh you know really giving Caleb the sob story and uh you can see that there's a there's a glimmer in his eye when he sees that Julie Cooper is going to be single here yes uh I I was toying with the idea of Julie Cooper at five she got narrowly edged by Caleb in his debut uh I liked her I think uh you would expect this is sort of like the trip where there's always a bigger bad 
Uh, and it's it's mm. kind of what happens whenever there's a new villain introduced that's a badder villain than the current villain. The villain becomes a good guy, and so now we see Julie Cooper join the Allied forces and sort of use whatever she can in this case her feminine wiles uh, to essentially sort of save the Cooper family. Well, yeah, and I guess I would say, I would argue that she was saving herself, because at that point she does, she's already asked Jimmy for a divorce. She's implied she wants one, but she's, she's like, I, I guess I see it as saving the Cooper family in that Jimmy and Julie both want Marissa and uh, Shaley Woodley, what's her name? Caitlin? Or Caitlin. (laughs) Caitlin. I was about to say Kirsten. (laughs) (laughs) She wants, they both want them provided for. Yeah, okay, that's fair. And Julie Cooper maybe a little more selfishly than than Jimmy, but uh, I think ultimately they're on the same team in this scene. Okay. Uh, So I like that take. I like like Julie for you at three. My number two, uh, looks like we got the same, well, no. I'm wait. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried what the top of your tier list looks like, Steve, because my number two is Sandy, Sandy Cohen, Peter Gallagher. Oh, dude, I messed this up. Okay, I'm sorry. I I I had um, I have six names on here. I was gonna take Seth off. Oh, rest I, in peace, Seth. You, you're gone, but not forgotten. So yeah, that, I was like, because I, I I only had one sentence here for him, and I forgot I was going to take that off. Let me let me. We don't need to redo this whole thing. I'll just run it down again. Five for me is Summer. Four is Julie. I see. We're That's into three sense. now. Yeah, so we're into you, three. Have you given your three? Yeah, my three is Seth, and your three is my three is Kirsten. Yep. Well, I get it. I get it. So. I think I'm going to ask for you, if you'd be so kind, to let me talk about her because she's my number one. Uh, oh, hell yeah. I'll, uh, I, well, let's go through Sandy's role. Is he your number? I had Sandy back at one. Hmm. I think that's an interesting take, given that he is he, he drops the ball in this episode. He does, uh, but it's, it wasn't enough for me to knock him off the top spot. I just think, ultimately, he, there's too much... Kirsten just isn't entertaining enough in this episode. She had my top spot last week uh, because of the the flamethrower that she turns on the uh, the Karens in the steam room scene. But Sandy just had there's like legit good stuff with him at the be- at the very beginning of the episode when he's like just taking down Caleb before he realizes that he's in the house already. <laughs> yeah, the line he says is, "Seeing your parents should inspire guilt, not fear." <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, so. You know, I guess I was going to, I, the, the scenes that I, that resonated with me the most were the ones between Sandy and Caleb. And I just had to, I had to choose between one of them to get the top spot. And so I, I leaned on uh, the old workhorse, Sandy. I think he's up to the task of carrying the list every week. I think um, for me, this is like three weeks in a row with Kirsten's performance slowly building. And so, uh, yes, she was she was probably better last week, but she's so good again this week. I don't agree that she's boring. I think she's got she she is sort of the um, the backboard off of which Caleb and Sandy both bounce their performances. Yeah. Yep, yep, that's fair. But she gives a little back too. The last scene with her and her dad—that's really nice. The scene where she s- sort of smacks Sandy on the ass and says. Listen, you not only did you fuck up, but you're also contextualizing this issue in the wrong way. 
and right. and be careful. Like we can't. It's all not sunshine and roses. Let's go back to the past. You know that comes mm-hmm. at a real cost, and the the cost is emotional as well as as practical. Um, and I like how she doesn't she doesn't back down from her dad. She is afraid of him, but when push comes to shove, she isn't demure and sort of like tail between her legs. She's just like she's like the stoic lieutenant who suffers her punishment with a stiff upper lip. I agree with all that. That's that's a good take. So you've got her at one and Sandy at two then? I do. Yep. Okay. Uh any all any right. parting words on your number one Sandy Cohen? Um, just just more I mean, yeah, I, I did kind of dress him down for uh, you know, kind of pushing his agenda uh in and I look that line so when the scene that you were talking about where they kind of have their real moment of hey if this if we got a bigger problem here if you you know if you felt like this all along but uh she he he, he like tries to apologize and she's like that was the worst apology ever and then he has like she has that great line where he's like you spoke your mind and she interrupts him and she's like no you spoke my mind like you 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 know this was your idea. You were pushing too hard for it. Uh, I wasn't ready to have that conversation with him, and uh, you kind of took the reins there. So yeah, I maybe maybe upon another, if I if I had a, I mean, I already fucked this thing up once by putting six names <laughs> on it. If I gave it a little more thought, I might put Kirsten close to the top. But just from an entertainment standpoint, Caleb and Sandy um, were carried the show or carried this episode for me, and so for that reason, they get my top two. Uh, that part, that part of the of the breakdown is is just a plain old good take. Uh, so to run it down, just for reference, those of you at home who are filling out your scorecard, uh, mine looks like for episode six: Caleb, Summer, Seth, Sandy, Kirsten. And I had from five to one: Summer, Julie, Kirsten, Caleb, Sandy. Well, wow, that was a it was a sort of a messy episode in some ways, but a, a very tight episode in others. Um, mostly I think the episode would have been way better off if Gabby just was like way, way, way more in the background. Mm. I don't know. It didn't, I, she didn't really, she didn't do it for me and she was creepy. Uh, but <laughs> overall pretty good episode. We got the kiss out of the way. That's a big deal. And now, now summer can be in the, in the mix from here on out. Steve, what are you, um, what are you looking forward to next week? What's your cliffhanger? Well, speaking of Gabby, uh, I'm excited to see what's next for Gabby. Um, I can only imagine that she will conduct some type of power move, take up the position that Kirsten will inevitably vacate. <laughs> Caleb and Gabby will likely then rule Orange County together while the Cohen family moves back to Berkeley or wherever they want, and uh, the series will completely shift focus to Northern California. Yeah, I think the the series gets its name changed in the next few episodes to, to the Berkeley. So I think, um, I think you're right about that. That's a good take. Um, for me, I am, uh, really excited for Luke and Marissa's baby. Hmm. <laughs> Unprotected you know, sex. You're, I, I didn't, he, he, maybe I don't want to fact check you here, but I think he does ask if he should grab a condom or at least he did. Lies. He didn't say the word because it was Fox and, uh, that's a oh. little racist. <laughs> Too risky. But hey, those things aren't guaranteed. And if there's one thing I've learned from watching teen dramas, the first time a couple has sex, it's always resulting in a pregnancy. Mmm. A trope. A trope that can't be denied. 
All right, Steve. Great episode. And until next week, take it till you make it. <laughs>